1: Well, those of you that are listening on radio, you didn't have the opportunity to hear. We sang an old hymn in a little updated version of it called Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing My Great Redeemer's Praise. It talks about having a right relationship upward. I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing His praise. I often, when I sing that song, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing... I'm wondering if maybe the Lord is hearing us sing that song and we think he's smiling when really he's looking down out of heaven and saying, you know what, forget the thousand tongues. If you just use the one tongue you had to praise me, I'd be happy with that. If you just use the one tongue you have to tell someone else, wherever you go, about who I am, that I died and I rose again because I love them so they could have eternal life in a relationship with me. So I wonder, are we really using the tongue the way God would want us to use the tongue? Now, don't look so chagrined because when I look at people, me too, we love to use our tongue, don't we? Think about it for a moment. We're obsessed with talking. We have such things as talk radio. You have talk television now. We're talking all the time. I was doing a little research for this message just to find out how often do we use our tongue and how often do we talk. Here's some information (laughs) I picked up. Do you know that the average American will enter into 30 healthy conversations on a daily basis. Did you know that over a course of a year that if we were recorded and it was to be typed out and put into a book just in one year's worth of talking we would have had 66 books just documenting what we've said and each book would have over 800 pages. Now I know that there are some that'll talk more that might have a hundred books and there are some that might talk a little less. They also did another research and said that men speak about 20,000 words a day and women speak with gusts up to 30,000 words a day. I don't know that. And I'm not slamming the ladies because I know there are some guys that they just don't know how to land the conversational plane. You know, they're just always talk, 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 and they have that issue. We also find that if we do a lot of talking, sometimes we think we're talking to uh, maybe put on our best foot, to talk well, to, to sell our point. But often, the more we talk, it really exposes not our knowledge, but exposes our ignorance. You know, some of us, we just, no matter when we talk, we seem to say the wrong things. We get into trouble when we talk. Now, you think, because, you know, I teach this stuff, that I don't do stupid things and say stupid things... Just have Carol. She's quick to remind us of the things that I say that are pretty dumb. A number of years ago, I was dean of men at a Bible college. And that sounds pretty, you know, important, doesn't it? Dean of men, you know. Well, the college was quite large. And so they had assigned me three secretaries. Interestingly enough, the three secretaries they gave me, two of the three were named Carol. So I had my wife, Carol, and two secretaries named Carol. Now, that is weird, isn't it? Well, anyway, they assigned me a lot of classes to teach. I don't know why, but I was blessed with having to teach three courses in the morning, starting at 7. And so by 1.30, I was going to my office, and your mind is like jello by the time you're finished teaching. You think you have it all together, but you're always thinking how to present it, and the kid's asking questions. So my mind was gone. Well, it happened to have been a Valentine's Day that I finished my classes. And the way the college was set up, I go down the hallway, I open the door to my office, and there's a secretarial pool with the three secretaries in there. And then on the other side of the wall was my office. So I would walk from the hall, go into their office, walk through their office, and go into my private office there. And so I'm so glad it's over, you know, it's exciting, I'm done for the day, I mean, you know, you got all this adrenaline going, and it's Valentine's Day. And so I open the door, and I walk into these ladies who are doing their work, and I said, Happy V.D. Day! And I went into my office... Now, some of you are having a heart attack. Nothing compared to what I did. When I closed the door, I realized, what did I just say in a Bible college? I didn't mean what it sounded. Valentine's Day. I was so embarrassed. I couldn't come out of my office. And so what I did is, I'm, I'm so glad, Carol was working on campus, I called her in her place and I said, Carol, you have got to come into my office and walk out with me as I go to these ladies and apologize because I have no idea what they're thinking. Now, folks, if you are looking at me and saying, yeah, you really do say some wild things, let me call your family. I'd like to know some of the things that you have said. Now, Some of you are, you know, thinking this is supposed to be a very serious message. When we start talking about the tongue, the use and the misuse of it, it can be very, very dangerous and very painful. For only you know the kind of things that you've said to your mate even this morning on the way to church, you know? And so you're now saying, oh, I wish I didn't come. If there was one Sunday, he's going to preach on the tongue, I've blown it, and I've got to go back into the same car that I came to church in with the same people. So it's a little hard. So I'm hoping to put a little bit of honey on the arrow that I'm about to shoot this morning to you so that it's a little sweeter, but it's nonetheless important. You know why it's not less important? James of all the writers in the New Testament, spoke more about the tongue than all the other writers. In fact, you probably could find something that's alluding to our tongue in our words in every chapter of the book of James. It is important to God because our tongue reveals a lot more about us than what we realize. It is very important. Let's look at this passage. I just want you to look at verse 2, and here's what it says. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, some of you that are on your beginning journey, you read where it says, He is a perfect man. And you think, well, that must mean if I really have a good tongue, I am sinless. No, not perfect like in sinless. The word perfect there means complete or mature. So let me see if I can spin it this way for you to apply it. Those who use their tongue properly are those who are mature. And the more you use your tongue, recognizing that your tongue is to be used not as a toy to play with and all this frivolity, and not a, a weapon to cause pain to other people because you can out-talk them and bring them down with your razor blade tongue. But you realize that your tongue is really a tool and it's to build up people, to bring them to the next level in their relationship with God and maybe even with others. And so when we start seeing that, that's the maturity. Now frankly, you know exactly what I'm saying if you have children. How many of you have had your children around you and they have just said the most embarrassing thing in front of you that you thought they should know better, they shouldn't say that? How many of you had your kids say something like that around you? Would you raise your hand? Good. Now, I'm not going to pass the microphone around. Your kids are out of here and you can have your own story on that. And we kind of look at that and we think, boy, my kid was really acting immature. But you know that moment I shared with you when I walked through the door? I was thinking all about, I'm finished, the end of my day, woohoo! And I came in to try to say something funny. At that moment, I wasn't perfect. At that moment, I wasn't mature. I wasn't thinking as I was walking by the Spirit of God. It was an immature thing. So those of us that are coming to a point in our life that we want to not grow old in Christ, but to grow up in Christ, we're going to start seeing that our tongue and how we use it is very, very important. Now, there are a lot of different titles I call this message Taming the Tongue. Because the tongue really isn't the problem. It's what we do with it. In fact, I was going to call this sermon Don't Let Your Tongue Lick You, but Carol said don't use that title. So I'm not. Don't let it beat you. I know you. some of my people like it here. But, <clears throat> but right now what we want to do... See this tongue? O oh, for one tongue to bring him praise. And oh, for one tongue to communicate the gospel to those who don't know Christ. Oh, for one tongue... For us to share a word of comfort or encouragement or kind correction to get people back on the path in their walk with God. And I pray that would be the case. Now here's where we're going in the message today. The context is going to give us three reasons why we need to be serious about the use of our tongue. And then I'm going to cover three remedies because some of you are going to buy into this. I think all of you are right now. I hardly even have to give you the reason to get your tongue under control but I want you to see the seriousness of it. But then on the other part of it, I don't want you just to say, yep, I've got to get my tongue together. I've got to use it right. I want to show you how to do that today. The message won't be long, but it will be very practical. And I pray that right now that you'll humble yourself like I've had to do to prepare this thing. You would not believe how the Lord has tested me in this message. How Satan came along to tempt me this week with Carol and how much I could fail in this use of my tongue. And so I want us to learn how to do that. So let's find out how we can tame the tongue. First of all, my tongue directs where I go. Now, I'll make some sense out of that here as we go through the passage. It's very clear. My tongue often will direct how I go, but it also will direct how other people go. So how I use my tongue has an effect on direction. Look at the verse now, and I'm going to read it to you. It says this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If any does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, whereof the pilot desires. Now, in this message of the three reasons to control our tongue, Paul very, or James very clearly does something good that a teacher would do. He gives two illustrations for point one, two illustrations for point two, and two illustrations for point three. Now, here's his two illustrations for the fact that the tongue will direct us. The first one is the little bits that are in horses' mouths, and you can see that in the passage. And so, really, I ask this question, where are you headed in life? Where are you going? Where will you be in ten years? Have you thought about that? And some of you might think you have no direction. I imagine that if I spent time with you or anybody close to you, that they will know what direction you're heading in based on the conversations that you'll have. If you want to know what a person is thinking about, what's on their mind a lot, the kind of plans that they're making, the places they want to go, just listen to them talk. For example, with kids, when they know they're going on vacation, perhaps even to Disneyland, what do you think they'll be talking about a lot ahead of time? That's a direction where they're going to go. Some of you... You might be talking about buying a house. And so you talk about real estate and investments and what's the, the interest rates and where to get the best loan and where on the island you want You'll be talking about that and it won't be long that your conversation will be directing you where you're going to be headed. Now, that was very real in my personal life. Probably 10 or 15 years ago, it came back to me. It was always there, but it seemed to start percolating up. And that is my passion for the wonderful people of Hawaii. And so it just seemed to be on my mind all the time. I'd read about it, I'd talk about it. Every time something would happen in Hawaii that needed prayer or needed counsel or needed money or I wanted people to know about, I started telling them. The people I work with, my neighbors, our family members. Carol and I would be talking about Hawaii all the time. It wasn't only about a year after that, only one year after that, the people I work with says, you guys look like you're gonna be moving to Hawaii. I said, there's no way I'm moving to Hawaii. I've got a great ministry right here. I'm not moving to Hawaii. Oh, I think you're going to go to Hawaii. The last two years before we accepted this church, we had Aloha Friday. We had the people wearing the Aloha shirts. We had prayer requests. We didn't know we were coming here. There was no church offering us a position. We weren't knocking on any doors. We had no money to move here. We were asked to speak all around the country or traveling around the world. We had things going. But somehow, deep within me, there was this subtle thing that I kept mind-going back to Hawaii, kept talking about it. And so for us being here today is probably more of a surprise, not so much today as a surprise, back then, to us, than it was even to the people that were around us. And so you have a 2,000 to 3,000-pound horse, and you put a tiny little bit that weighs maybe a pound or a pound and a half in its mouth. You can direct that. Our tongue can not only steer ourselves. But our tongue can steer our family members, whether they excel in school or not, whether they feel like they can play sports or not, whether that they can move ahead in a career or not. You know sometimes you look at people that are great visionaries, sometimes. I'm referred to as that. My mind is thinking about what we can do and what we can do. Don't, don't, I can tell you what I would love to see this church do in five years. Maybe sometimes, seriously, I'll tell you. But I have to tell you that my wife is greater than the visionary. Because it's the visionary that has a good wife, and the wife uses her tongue to set the direction. She doesn't say, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, sometimes she probably should have. She doesn't say, we don't have the money for that. She doesn't say, you can't do that. Her tongue skillfully directs my vision to make sure, is it of God? How do you know? We're in scripture. Have you meditated on this? What other counsel have you received from godly individuals that know you and know this vision? So her tongue has been used... To give me direction, as my tongue has been used to give her direction. Notice the next verse, it talks a little bit there about the rudder of a ship. The research I've done, the Queen Mary has three acres of just recreational space on board that ship. Three acres of recreation, not the dining rooms, not the sleeping rooms, just the recreational rooms, three acres. They said that the anchor on the Queen Mary weighs as much as ten large cars, but yet the rudder, although it is heavy and it is strong, is still a lot lighter than the ship, a lot lighter than even the anchor of it, and yet it's that rudder that will help them navigate through all the oceans in the direction in which they go. Our tongue is very important. As it directs us, it can bring blessing, it also can bring judgment. It can add value or it can devalue. It can construct or it can deconstruct. And so it's our tongue that provides all of this for us. Now some of us might be thinking, well, you know what? You're right. So the best thing is to not say much. I'm just not going to talk. That's the the way to stay out of trouble. I'm just not going to talk. You know what? You can say very little and still be just as damaging as those that talk a lot. It really reveals who you are. I read a story about this guy who wanted to be a a monk, so he joined the monastery, and they said, you're on a three-year probation. In our monastery, we do not speak. At the end of your first year, you're allowed to say two words. At the end of your second year, two words. At the end of your third year, two words. And then we'll decide if you can be one of the monks here in our monastery. So this guy said, no problem. He goes in, doesn't say anything. At the end of the first year, he's given his two words first two words were, bed hard. That's all he said. Okay. End of the second year, food cold. End of the third year, I quit. (laughs) And so the head priest said, I knew you. I knew you were going to make it because all you do is complain. (laughs) So it doesn't mean how much you say. It's what you say that really counts. And so we want to use our tongue to build up how important that is. Let's go to the second. So first, our our tongue gives us direction, but also our tongue can destroy what we have already. This is a very, very profound passage. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member, just like the rudder and the bit, and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, like a little spark kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Folks, I don't know about you. Maybe you have never been around a conflagration-type fire. I don't mean a little campfire. I don't mean a little fireplace fire that you might have. I don't mean something that's in the barbecue pit. I'm talking about a fire that you know that is raging hot, that you can actually hear this fire. It is so loud. The wind It is exacerbated. The wind is exacerbated by the fire because of the physics of all the heat and what it's doing. And how that this fire, once you see it's out of control, you don't know where it's going because you can feel the blistering heat. And you don't know what direction it's going. You don't know how to get further out of this thing. That's the kind of fire. They've had those in Laguna, California. When I pastored in Southern California, I had a, a couple that took us to their beach house was right there on Laguna Beach and we were eating and enjoying all of this and then they told us about the Laguna fires that occurred in the early 90's. They said they happened to be in Hawaii and in Hawaii at their hotel they were looking on the television as they were almost all day long because there's so many people in Southern California especially in the Laguna area were watching the ridges on fire watching the houses burning and popping and exploding going down the very same ridge where their house was. And they said, we knew our house was gone. We were watching it go on television. A miracle of God, the wind shifted. One house from their house. It was started by one small spark. In Australia in 1983, there was such a unique fire started by one match. Now, I almost can't believe this, but this is what the statistics tell us. In one night that one match started fire burned 600 miles in one night. I almost can't wrap my brain around that, how fast that raging fire spilled across the countryside of Australia. Now when we talk about that our tongue can destroy what we have, in one way our tongue will destroy it, and just follow me for a moment. If I tell a lie to someone and it's found out, do you know that that person at that moment might forgive me, but they've lost confidence in me? If I'm known as continually spinning the truth and not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth on more than one occasion, pretty soon I am so far down in loss of respect that my relationship is ultimately destroyed with that person, and may take a lifetime. Now remember this, love is free no matter how bad they are. Forgiveness is free no matter how many times they offend us. But respect and trust, that's earned by hard work, commitment, truth-telling. So a word that we think nobody will find out about, that can destroy a relationship just like that. I'm thinking about people that sometimes will share information about another person to another person. And you know what gossip is? Gossip isn't telling a lie, that's slander. Gossip is telling part truth, part lie, exaggerating, taking things out of control. Watch this, watch this. Even the tone in which we say that. You really think she meant that? That little bit of gossip is like a spark that can begin to burn quite quickly in ruin relationships. It has ruined reputations, it has ruined companies, it has ruined churches, it has ruined families. One little word spun with a little bit of tone can bring great destruction. I almost had that happen with Carol and me. Many years ago I was in Houston, Texas at a conference. And while I was there, I was at a Bill Gothard conference on uh, how to have healthy families and all of that. As a pastor, I brought a boatload of our leaders over to this. And a pastor friend of mine that I've known since so before I was married, actually, he came up. And he said, Stan, I, I want you to know something that someone came to me and told me that uh, you and Carol are divorced. Now, that's, that, that made me, I mean, I went white. I went nauseous. And I said, well, what did you say? I said, no, they're not divorced because Carol is speaking at our ladies' conference back in San Antonio while you're over here. And so I'm okay because this pastor knew the story that we're not, we're not, you know, we're fine. What I'm more concerned about is who else did that person say to that pastor the same thing where my reputation is sullied around the country maybe? One word, one spark can destroy a lifetime of a career a relationship. It's a very dangerous thing. Then we think of, what else do we fear besides fire? We fear poison, don't we? Now, I mean, think about it, poison. How many of you are very careful as parents to make sure that all your cleaning products, even though they might not be poisonous, they can certainly make kids sick if it's not right. So you lock them up, snap the doors, put it up high, whatever you do. How many of you women, I don't mean to marginalize women, I think there are men that are this way too, but how many of you women are very fearful of snakes. Well, that just made some of you go, aren't we glad we live in Hawaii that we don't have any poisonous snakes? I read this last week. This happened here. San Antonio, not, not Hawaii. San This week, in a suburb, like in your little neighborhood, not out in the country, the family came running out because their pets were howling. Two of their pet dogs were attacked by rattlesnakes. $5,000 to help save the two little pet dogs. But that wasn't the real problem. The real problem is when the youngest child ran out and saw the disfigurement of the pets, that the child passed out and they had to rush the child to the hospital, thinking that the child might be overcome with hysteria. Another story in Phoenix, May 5th, four people, one city, one day, bitten by rattlesnakes. Now, we're choke, you know, chuckling about this now. But I want you to know poison is a very dangerous thing. Now, stay with me, if you will, for a moment. In this context, it is talking about poison is bad. It's talking about the tongue is like fire is bad. But in reality, fire is not bad. And in reality, poison is not bad. What it is is what you do with it that makes it good or bad.